The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome back to the Shaken and Stirred show. I know we've taken a little fiesta. Well, we needed one. Tom's been sort of, you know, burning it on both ends recently and we needed a week off, people. But we're back. I know you missed us. We are here. It's Nigel Barker in New York. I've got Tom Astor in Oxford, England. Tom, how are you, old man? Very well. Nice. Very well. And, um, you know, in England, you know, we have weather. So the summer has been sort of damp and drizzly and grey and all the rest of it. And it's great. For the last week of August, it's 18 degrees, 20 degrees centigrade. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, which we, we feel is very summery. And um, we've got a whole week of it. We're thrilled. We're so excited, you know? Well, there you go. You know what? It's absolutely sweltering in new york we've had 90 plus degree weather which is in the 30s for you over there in the in the uk and in the and in europe so super hot a good 10 degrees hotter than what you've had so you can imagine 10 degrees celsius hotter so just really muggy and unpleasant but enough about the weather what are you drinking well as you said earlier i'm um i've been uh yeah i've been having i've been to a couple of parties recently so even though it is whatever time it is, my end, I am having the good old fashioned. Well, I mean, it, w- it was either going to be the Black Doctor, which is, as we know, is a Coca Cola, which I can't do on a cocktail podcast. So I thought the good old Bloody Mary. Wow. So you're doing a Bloody Mary at 10 o'clock at night. People, this is what happens when you are hungover before you go to bed. You yep. drink a Bloody Mary. Yeah. And you know what, nice. What I love about it, I mean, you haven't seen my garnish, but you know, very good. Um, all celery with tomato and a lemon, all on various cocktail sticks. Beautiful. And, I, and my business is that celery. You know, about celery is the only food that takes more energy to consume than it does give you, as it were. So you actually lose weight while you eat it. The chewing. The chewing of it alone is enough to... There's Tom's workout, people. Forget about diet. The rest of it's probably not, though. The alcohol stuff. The diet drink. Because when you chew that celery, you're actually working out your jaw, which is what we do on the Shaken and Stirred show. We work out our jaws. Oh, yes, we do. And I haven't actually gone too much further. I just decided to do something called a London lemonade. Looks like a glass. Elegant lemonade. Elegant name, nice glass, old classic glass. Actually used to belong to Chrissy's grandmother, the glass. So it's uh, got some historic history to my wife's grandmother. But it is very simply lemonade, which, you know what, in 95 degree weather is needed, but with gin. So the London part comes because it's London dry gin. And I used a beef eater this time. Um, You can use whatever gin you like, to be honest with you. And if you use fresh lemonade, that's where it really gets fun. I actually cheated. I went with a spindrift lemonade because I was in a bit of a hurry, but it's actually fantastic. And I squeezed a real lemon into it to give it a bit of that zest. But that's it, people. Super easy. Lemonade and gin. Combine the two and you get yourself a really fresh and fruity summer drink. And I put a dried orange. Have you ever done this, Tom? Have you ever dried out fruit? It's a dried orange. I have, but you normally could hang on a Christmas tree. Hang them on a Christmas tree. That, yeah, but you can also eat them. And they're actually quite delicious. Sometimes, you know, when you put an orange on the side, you, you, you know, you may squeeze it into the drink. But I find when you dry them, you can eat the entire thing. The pith, the peel, the, the whole nine yards. Delicious. I, it's a new thing for me. So I've been trying out how to dry them, but we'll get into that in another day. Before we get there, we have a wonderful guest today. Someone I've known for some time. But before we go to our guest, how about a bit of booze news booze news well once again we're taking booze news out of this world into space tom you love a little bit of galactic booze news you normally re- roll your eyes and go oh, come on it doesn't make any bloody difference and we've talked about this with wine before but now billionaire Jar- jared isaacman on September 14th, so just in a few weeks, people. In fact, when this podcast comes out, it'll probably be in about a week. Um, he is taking, uh, check this out for, for fun. He is taking um, hops, beer hops, up to space. He's chartering a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket ship. Now, you've got to be a billionaire to do this. <laughs> to space, and he's taking hops with him to create space beer space beer 
Now, he doesn't have a brewery on hand yet who, who, who decided to go along with him. And he actually, he just recently tweeted out to the world saying, hey, breweries out there, get with it. I'm taking these hops to space. Um, let's make some space brew. Now, it's all in the name of charity. So, you know, it's not a bad thing. Uh, he's taking some of the key ingredients with him. He's, uh, you know, a whole bunch of different things, not just the hops, but he's also taking some barley and a whole bunch of stuff. And apparently the zero gravity is going to affect the hops. I mean, we all know what you think about that, Tom. But it's all to raise money for St. Jude's. Now, in addition to this, Isaacman is donating $100 million. That's right, you heard it there, $100 million to St. Jude's. So that's a good, good work there. And he's hoping to auction off this space beer. So there you have it, space beer. Yeah, and you know what? That money, it's a bit like Bessos when he went up the other day, you know, and, and did all that. He could have spent that money in that little bounty project floating around, like buying up large tracts of the Amazon rainforest so that off the loggers and concentrating a little bit on the planet we currently live on as opposed to trying to start farting around you, you know, with other look after what we've got, protect what we've got here before, what, you know, seriously, hops in space sounds ridiculous. Absolutely. Perfect, perfect segue to our guests, Tom. Our guest today is an award-winning TV host and travel documentarian who you might recognize as a correspondent from ABC, GMA, and Nightline, a true citizen of the world and storyteller. He's traveled to over 65 countries, taking millions of TV viewers on journeys across the globe. This summer, he returned to TV as the host and executive producer of Vice's new travel docu-series, Unknown Amazon. Please welcome Pedro Andrade. Pedro, how are you, buddy? I'm wonderful. What a generous introduction. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. I love the concept of your show and I love a good cocktail. So, Well, good. And I hear that you are, you said you were deep in the woods of Portland, Oregon, <laughs> which considering what your, your whole show is in deep in the Amazon, <laughs> saying you're deep in the woods in Oregon somehow doesn't really compare, but you haven't managed to muscle up much of a drink. But hey, what, you know, tell us what you are drinking. I'm drinking a local beer. It's, uh, yeah, it's an, a brewery here in Oregon. It's called Boy, I think. I boy, just... a, a buoy, I think. Buoy. okay. Oh. Let me say boy, but it's buoy in America. <laughs> By the way, cheers. Tell me, boy. Buoy, cheers. Buoy. It's high Pedro, by the way. How's it going, Tom? Nice, nice to meet, meet you. What is your... Uh... Why is the bus shut downstairs? It's very because kind of like it early, is but... two p.m. here, and apparently they open at four. I don't think that's a reason. I don't think that's fair, but that's their excuse. What do they do between two and four? I work. <laughs> I guess they serve coffee. They have great coffee in Portland as well. You, you got to tell them that it's five o'clock somewhere. Always, Pedro. always. Uh, but the beer is pretty good. They have a lot of like artisanal beer here in Portland as well. I gotta say like the food here has been phenomenal. I mean, I live in New York and um, I've covered restaurants for years. I love the food in New York, but the West Coast is really impressive these days. I think they have so many authentic, uh, fascinating communities. I mean, the Mexican re restaurants in LA are phenomenal. Uh, the Vietnamese restaurant, Korean restaurants here in Portland are incredible. So it's been a pleasant surprise. Uh, right now we're uh, filming an episode about van lifers, which is, it's been really eye-opening to me. Um, so that's, that's why I'm here in Portland right now. I'm about to head to Oakland and then to Seattle. Constantly. Constantly. Yeah, yeah, which is so... I mean, it is the life I've always dreamed of, uh, but it's ironic that you and I, Nigel, are chatting now because I think we were neighbors for a long time. In That's the right. West in, in the West Village, I would see Pedro on, on the regular, yeah. just wandering around, doing his thing, whatever you were doing, whatever you were up to, and, <laughs> and we would bump into one another. And, I, you know, it, it was funny. I was always aware of you. We had some mutual friends in common, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, in the fashion industry and what have you. And I was aware of who you were. And it was so funny too, when I first saw you come up and they, my producer said, oh, what about Pedro? And I, I'm like, I know him. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know, and here we are. Well, well, I mean, it's funny how, like, I think anywhere in the world, but in New York, I mean, there, there's this community of real New Yorkers, I guess. Like, Night and I used to bump into each other when I was walking my dog. I think our lives have changed so much over the years, but there was always, like, a friendly smile. We never really officially met, maybe in a gallery opening or something like that. But I, it was always great running into you uh, and I think there is a I don't know a camaraderie like that comes with people that stuck with New York you mentioned obviously that you're on the road a lot you're right now you're in Portland Oregon your show unknown Amazon so this is something where I've watched a couple of episodes I've had a chance to watch River Hunters and your Gold yep. Rush episodes um, super exciting a lot of fun and what an extraordinary trip to make now you are yep. Brazilian Right. And so you're, although you're a native New Yorker, you know, take us back to growing up in Brazil before we get to your show, because one of the things that I thought was quite sort of phenomenal about it is that you grew up in Rio and yet, you know, you really have visited the Amazon in your country mm -hmm. and you didn't you know, the various parts of the country that you don't know about. And you probably know more about the U.S. than you do about your own country. Is that not fair to say? Uh, at this point, yeah, I've spent more time in the U.S. than in Brazil. But I mean, I think my strongest memory growing up was that I, I always wanted to travel. Like the the man that I've become is very cohesive with the boy that I was in Brazil. I've always been fascinated by other cultures, by maps, by the idea of, I don't know, exploring the world. Um, I vividly remember my grandmother asking me, what do you want to, she was very influential in my life, my upbringing. And she asked me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I just said, I want to travel. She's like, that's not a job. I was like, well, then I'll be a, a pilot, a flight attendant, a tour guide, a truck driver, whatever, but get me plate. And the Amazon was a place that I always dreamed of visiting. Uh, ironically, I ended up hosting uh, the most watched travel show in Latin America that took me to over 60 countries. And uh, finally, uh, I'm not superstitious, but I kind of believe that things happen at the right time. Um, and I think it's such a crucial time. It's such a, an important time. It's uh, the Amazon today, for sure, is the most environmentally important place on Earth. And I just feel like uh, I was ready to meet these people, to tell these stories, to uh, dive deeper into the reality of the Amazon. I mean, to be honest, I felt more like a foreign in the Amazon than I felt in places like Bagan in Myanmar or Isfahan in Iran or in the border of North Korea, because it really is its own beast. You know, if it was a country, the Amazon would be the sixth largest country in the world. It's larger than Western Europe. Uh, one third of all the trees in the world are in the Amazon. Over 20% of all fresh flowing water in the world is in the Amazon. Over 350 ethnicities. So it's just so massive and we don't talk about it enough. Uh, everyone seems to be willing to destroy it for profit. Uh, I'm not here to point fingers and judge people, but I just wanted to understand what it felt like to, to live there. I feel like we all are well aware of the political turmoils in Brazil. We're all hearing all the time about wildfires, not just in the Amazon, but now here in the West Coast and Turkey and Australia. Uh, but we don't know who, like, who these people are. And what I found down there was really surprising you know you, you mentioned 350 ethnicities mm -hmm. you know uh which is you know in itself staggering um but you know at the same time you know it's one of those things where obviously south america north america these are countries that are colonized by europeans mm -hmm. and so i think one of the things that stuck out to me and i i sort of made a, I, I sort of noted it down was throughout your episodes all the business owners you spoke to were white mm -hmm. and all the people working were mm -hmm. dark. 
right? And it was, it didn't matter where they were, Ecuador or Brazil or wherever it was, you know, there was the blonde woman in the gold, in, in the gold mines yep. who was running the joint. There was the, the white guy who runs the chocolate factory. There was the, you know, the, you know, there's so on and so forth. Everywhere you went, there was this sort of the big white man that ran the place. Even if they were apparently from Brazil or from Ecuador, they were still white. Now, when you were going through in, in that world and you said you felt a bit out of, like out of place in the Amazon, like you wasn't home it felt like the, the most exotic foreign place for you in what way do you feel that, that, that somehow race plays into the picture i'm curious to see if that if that played a part at all i mean there are so many nuances when you talk about culture within the amazon uh yes there is a lot of racial inequality we that an entire episode to this community known as Quilombolas. Quilombolas are basically slave descendants. Uh, for you to have an idea, uh, between the 18th and 19th century, about 400,000 Africans were dragged to America as slaves. Over 5 million of them were dragged to Brazil. So uh, the impact that African culture uh, had, I know that African culture is a a broad stroke, but like places like Senegal, Cameroon, Congo, like the, the influence they had in Brazilian culture is undeniable. The way we worship, the way we eat, the way we dress, uh, it's all influenced by African nations uh, inside the largest rainforest on earth. And all of a sudden in those places, uh, maybe because they were communities that were formed by people that escaped their farms or the, the plantations they worked on, uh, I found a lot of authenticity. And uh, I didn't see as much racism as I saw in other places. Uh, and in Brazil's case, I mean, we were colonized by uh, Portuguese people, we had Dutch, we had Spanish. Uh, but in the Amazon, you have a little bit of both. You have uh, places that were highly impacted by colonization and have places that have been just secluded and escaped all that. And uh, one of the episodes about isolated indigenous tribes. Um, and it's pretty fascinating to see that there are still communities that are living the same way their ancestors lived 100, 200 years ago. What I think it's important to remember is the mentality with which they arrive in the Amazon. Some people get there with money and they educate local communities and they hire local communities and they empower local communities and they turn them, uh, they make them more independent. Meanwhile, other people come in, bring their own staff, make as much money as they can and leave destruction behind. Yeah, no, without a doubt. I mean, I think you, you know, one of the, one of the things that you try to make clear is that change is possible. I mean, it, it and, and it, there is, I, mean, I, I feel your hope, you know, but at the same time, I think we all know that the world is a sort of ticking time bomb right now. And we all, we all need hope and we all, and we, and when we're making shows and television shows, you know, it's, it's to say anything is sort of hopeless is, uh, you know, always seems to be a, a, never a good thing to do. And also who do you, what do you know? How do you know that? Right. So mm -hmm. you know, to, to make that claim would be, would be unrealistic, but it, you know, talking about, palm oil, for example, which you go into at length in one of your episodes, and mm -hmm. you show extraordinary footage, uh, drone footage, for example, where you, the camera goes above the Amazon forest and you see these palm forest plantations that mm -hmm. go on as far as the eye can see. And you talked about driving for 20 kilometers in one plantation alone, just trying to drive through it. And, you know, that sort of transformation you know it just i don't understand i don't see how that is sustainable on any level you know for us yeah. to you know it, it, it isn't an issue because people are saying palm oil is here to stay right and okay maybe but is the issue the palm oil or is the issue and we've talked about this on other episodes with other guests um the population size the world Maybe we have it because everyone's talking about more and more people, more and more oil is required. No, no, well, then no, maybe you just you, you, you been off the kind of things since 1944 or whatever. It's like it's been a big no no. I, you know, it's like Pedro, you said something earlier about pointing fingers. Um, hmm. and Nigel's asking, you know, about sustainability. 
I think I'm quite, let's start pointing fingers. You know, I was just saying to Nigel in the booze news section of this show just before you came on, you talked about this guy called Eichmann who's about to take some hops into space and make space beer. But this, what's great is uh, it's for charity, it's for a thing called St. Jude's, and you know, it's all, you know, wonderful. Jeff Bezos, you know, a company called Amazon, you know, how much money did he spend? One of the vanity projects, they can float around for 10 minutes, you know? I mean, what, so, am I allowed to, I might, uh, I mean, I don't particularly want to get sued by him, but I mean, that, you know, I so I'm not going to insult him, but that money, you know, buy up, you call it company hours, like, the boxes I get, I mean, like, it's obviously not from the app, the boxes I get every day, it's a huge box, and you end up with a kind of like battery charge, you know, call himself Amazon, spending billions of dollars going to space. Well, why go to space? Well, you look after where we are at the moment, right? Why don't we start shaming these 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 sort of vain, you know? I mean, spend the money on buy just buy bits of the Amazon, turn it into a nature zone, put wardens in there, buy the stuff off the loggers, pay the loggers off, yeah, pay them off, put zone it, zone it, protect it, you know, make nature zone. Just spend money on something useful, not looking like a. I don't know. I'm not. We all know. I don't know. Just Jeff Bezos remind you, and particularly looks like something to me, but um, you know. Why, you know, literally start shaming these people. Uh, oh, I, I, I agree. I completely agree with you. And I think uh, this circus of visiting other planet, uh, spending money that you could basically uh, end world hunger is nothing but a joke. Uh, so I agree. And but I really feel like when I went down to the Amazon, when I said I don't want to shame anyone or point fingers, it's because it's easy for me to visit uh, the Amazon and be like, you know, uh, there shouldn't be any billionaires and they should be spending money here and they should be saving the world. But I was more interested in the influenced than in the influencers. I was more interested in finding solution, um, solution, a, a solution or many solutions among the people that are uh, there that know that place that are uh, that have been histor historically done wrong for centuries then just you know end the show with sort of i don't want to say an obvious uh, solution. But yeah, of course, uh, the Amazon could benefit tremendously if we had people that were willing to uh, invest in local communities that were the same way that the Amazon would benefit tremendously if all of us were more like more uh, careful with the things that we buy. Nigel mentioned uh, the palm oil industry. 75 to 80% of all products in the grocery store have palm oil in it. So it's easy for me to be like, you know, there shouldn't be any palm oil farms. But then I open my cupboard, I go into my kitchen, and everything is recklessly made by, you know, uh, inconsequential brands. Uh, so I guess what I'm trying to I agree with you. Big banks, billionaires, I don't even believe believe there should be billionaires in the world. Yes, they, they could do a lot more than they do. As a matter of fact, I don't think they do enough in many ways. But I wanted to see what I could do. I wanted to see what you guys could do. I wanted to see what the viewer could do in order to help these people. And I think the beginning is to understand how urgent this is. Uh, one thing that gave me a lot of hope was to see how there is a generational gap. And most, and like older folks, not just in the Amazon, but, but globally, there is a selfishness Maybe because we're not going to deal with the impact, you know, of what happens if the Amazon is destroyed. But young people, the people that follow Greta Thunberg on Twitter and the people that don't even have Twitter, I feel like there is this refreshing um, way of viewing the problem and sort of like looking for solutions and doing something about it. Uh, and that's where I found most hope, whether it was indigenous communities or people that depend on the river. Like, I really found that young people are maybe naively more hopeful than older people. In the, um, can I just say, it's, it's very, in England, in England, food is too cheap. Governments aren't gonna put the price of food up. We had this conversation before this. Governments aren't gonna put the price of food up because they just lose the election. So farmers, I'm a farmer here, and we're paid to, um, you know, be custodians of the countryside. That's becoming more and more. We're not paid. We weren't paid when we were part of the European Union. We were paid subsidies to grow food. So food's too cheap. So we're actually paid to produce it. Mm -hmm. um, we're not getting the price, the normal prices, you know, the market price. So now we're being paid. Now we, we've left, for instance, we've left the European Union. You've got a government sitting there going, well, we want to pay you to be custodians of the countryside. 
But we don't really kind of, you know, we haven't really, we'd rather spend the money on something else, like, you know, a motorway or something. So, you know, we're going to, so we're all sitting here going, we don't know what's going on. We're custodians. We're itching to do it. We'd love to get paid to do it. We're not greedy. We'd love to, you know, with our surroundings, nurture, nature, you know, all of that. Bessos and all these guys could be spending their money on, you know, educating communities about, you know, slash and burn, educating people about how to deal with loggers, how to spot stuff, you know. Educate, you know, they could spend all the money on education. Look after where we live now. These guys should be shamed. I mean, there should be a movement of shame that these people literally spend that, take that money mm -hmm. he spent going to space and literally do a list of what he could have achieved with that money in the Amazon. What, now, give mm -hmm. a picture of what size, you're probably the size of Italy or something, right? For sure. Uh, one of the most, uh, intense moments of the series is on the fourth episode when me and my crew we get held hostage by 250 armed indigenous people uh we were death sworn we had ink thrown on our faces we had to be evacuated from brazil and ironically we were in that place trying to understand why some indigenous folks are asking to be able to explore their own land because what happens is the government says indigenous land can't be touched you can't explore you can't profit from it so indigenous people follow the rules and then an illegal miner an illegal logger extractivists come in destroy the land and leave and keep the money so now indigenous folks are learning that they need to also be able to explore their own land if they want to survive at all. So when we went there, I mean, there is this, I mean, here we're talking about big issues. And when you speak to uh, indigenous members of indigenous communities, you understand that they don't know who Bezos is. They don't know who these big brands are. They don't know that what a billion dollars can buy. Yes, you need someone to actually go in there. And as you said, educate them and explain to them uh, the situation. I feel like they, I mean, they've been there for centuries, but right now they're starting to understand that it might be their last generation. I mean, it might be uh, the end for a lot of those ethnicities that we were talking about in the beginning of, of the show. And then, I mean, it's like polar bears. It's like, you know, those guys, you know, they're the kind of, they're the people who are getting, you know, shot on without realizing, you know, people in the Amazon might sit there and think, oh, it feels a bit warmer this year, you know, oh, a bit more rain or a bit of that kind of weather's gone a bit weird. I mean, you know, um, without the kind of knowledge that we have, um, but we do have that knowledge, you yes. know, and, and the kind of top 1% or 2% of the richest people on earth consume 80% of the whatever it is, you know, it's, it, you know, they should literally be called out on it, I think, and, and, and questioned and, I agree with you, obviously, I agree with you, but it, it, it's, it's sort of human nature to some extent. It, does, it seems that, to me that there's something sort of fundamentally, you know, perhaps wrong with human beings where we have an, an incredible sense of greed and, you know, and we think about ourselves first. And, you know, and, it, and I wonder too, whether, you know, we call, uh, you know, indigenous people or whatever, Inuits or whatever they might be, wherever they might be, and they're taking advantage of, but as and when one of them succeeds, how often is it that that person then takes care of the community when they get an education and then they leave, do they return and come back and educate? Because they, they see it as their, their chance to get out and, and, yeah. to, and to make something for themselves. It's almost as if, you know, you know this is one of the issues that, that mankind is gonna have to deal with is the fact that we have to somehow grow up and not think that, okay, I've made some money. I want, what do I want to do? I want to go to space because that's the next frontier <laughs> I want to do. It's sort of like, you know, it, it, it doesn't seem to matter how much money we make. We're not, we don't grow up. We're not mature. We don't think these things through. We don't actually give a shit about our neighbor. We, we pretend to, but we half the time can't even do it with our own members of our own family, let alone our neighbor, let alone a foreigner. That's why we go to war. That's why we have lines around the country saying, I'm in Ecuador, I'm in Brazil, I'm in South America, I'm in, you know, I'm in you know, New York State, I'm in um, Massachusetts, I'm in Maine. It's like, what the heck, what are you talking about? Someone drew a line in the sand and you hop over it and you're something different? What are you out of your mind? We've been doing this forever. We're, we're all pretty close to being, you know, if we were a billionaire, would we act any differently? Likewise, if we were broke, how would we feel then? You know, like, I don't know. Like, hang on, hang on, no, hang on, hang on, hang on. America's famous for its philanthropy. And I shall put my hand up here because 
we've done our fair share. My family have done their fair share in America. And I know all, I know all about the philanthropic efforts in America. They're much, much broader than, and bigger than generous than they are in England. But I mean, get fantastic tax breaks on the Now, let's not kind of like blame the billionaires, but, you know, Bill Gates, and whether you like him or not, you know, trying to eradicate malaria. I mean, that's a pretty, you know, that's, that's a pretty impressive. Bill Gates, the Melinda Foundation, it's pretty impressive what those guys have done. Tell me something. What, right? So that, and we know what they've done, and it's like you know, eradicate malaria. I mean, that's a big thing. What life-changing things is, is what's Bessels doing apart from firing off the rocket into sort of semi-you know orbit? Um, what has he has he is he doing anything philanthropical that, that, that that's going to sort of you know alter really lots of people? You know, all the people that buy this stuff rely on. Is he doing something that's a, that's kind of Giving back, you know. I mean, is he? I don't no, know. I, 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 I honestly don't think he gives a shit about anyone else but himself. Uh, I do believe that there are are other powerful people that could be a lot more influential than just uh, billionaires. For example, oh. the president of Brazil, you know, who is yeah. this nut job, far right leader who is racist, homophobic, xenophobic. Uh, he has called indigenous people cattle, has called, you know, the Quilombolas, the slave descendants, uh, a waste of space. Uh, so I do feel like mm. I, I am I'm hopeless when we talk about the generosity of billionaires in general. You know, I just wish people knew how to vote better. And I just wish this uh, disgusting rhetoric that we see among politicians. I think that's part to blame as well. I think they're part to blame as well. How come that guy, I mean, how come there is that kind of movement with that guy? Because you know, I mean, I've read about it here, you know, and he's, he doesn't give a shit about the logging and he's, you know, the, the, Europe, the international community is trying to lobby him and say, look, let's, you know, we want to try to help. You know? We want to try, you know, what can we do? Can we buy them out? Can we, you know? And he is yeah. very, uh, he, yeah, as you said, it's nut job. I mean, who's voting for this guy? I mean, is it really a kind of... Well, uh, this is a, other, uh, a whole other discussion, but I believe politics in general are a pendulum you know we had a far left government for eight years and it was the most like the high the, the biggest corruption scandal in the history of mankind and because the left messed up here we went to the other extreme but i mean even the pandemic like covid was so brutal uh in low-income communities in the Amazon. You know, so many people died because of that sort of rhetoric. And now, I mean, we have an election, I think, next year, and hopefully he'll, he'll be out. Ironically enough, his, his competition is the president before him that went to jail for the corruption scandal. So politically speaking, Brazil is a fucking mess. You know, sorry about the, yeah. the fucking, but it's, uh, and, and it's, tough because he claims he's like you know germany uh the uk the united states you guys already destroyed your forests who are you to tell me to now protect my forest but that's a really shitty argument because in the end of the day when it comes to preserving and understanding the problem the laws the environmental laws in these countries that i mentioned are getting much better and being more you know like they're getting more responsible they're uh, more aware of the issue meanwhile like for Bolsonaro, people should just make money and... This guy, Boris Johnson, he's a, I mean, staggering in that he's actually allowed anywhere near anything kind of important. It's the same sort of thing, isn't it? Like, we vote for these people and, um, you know, hold them accountable. But, you know, Tom, I mean, it's interesting, you know, this this whole conversation about, you know, we saw America first, Brazil first, this sort of, perhaps this sort of um, right-wing type of, sort of, and it's perhaps, it's not even like to say right-wing, it's a very specific type of politics that's going on. But interestingly enough, the reason why I don't like to say right-wing is because I've been involved with the Humane Society uh, and the Humane Society International for years now. And I actually created a documentary myself on the seal hunt um, that happens up in Canada. Right. So Canada being quite a sort of socialistic kind of country in general, pretty left leaning, pretty, you know, liberal rather in, the, in their method and what they how they behave, how they are seen in the world. Right. But when it came to the seal hunt, they would not clamp down. They would not make it illegal. They wouldn't ban it. Right? They were like, no, 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 it's their right to go and hunt the seals. 
these people's right. And by the way, we're not talking about Inuits. We're not talking about the indigenous people of Canada going and killing seals. Meanwhile, when they do, they eat the whole thing and they use the whole thing, the fur, the meat, the every aspect of it. And they only take what they need. We're talking about fishermen who would normally be fishing who are out of season by the way you mentioned buy them out and pay for them not to do it that's exactly what we were trying to do we had the money to buy out their seal their licenses and pay them millions of dollars not to hunt seal but they were like no that's what we're saying to you we're putting a finger up and saying you we're not going to do that because actually you know we don't want to be told by you we want to if you you know it's, it's like belligerent children saying no nope, i'm not going to be told by you what's going to happen I, you know i have to make my own mind up that i'm not going to do this and, yeah. and it's my right because it's my country to kill it because it's on my land and i will drill in my land because i want to and i will do all and it's it's so mind by my then this is a very liberal country you wouldn't think yeah. about it meanwhile you fly to canada and in the magazine and air canada is a picture of a white coat seal right there on the cover of the magazine and the airplane it, it, it's so bonkers on so many levels but, um, you, you, yeah. you know what really scares me, though, is the speed with which everything is happening. Uh, when I was born in 1979, 1% of what we know as the Amazon was, was destroyed by then. Now 22% has been destroyed. Like in the past three years, uh, an area the size of California has been burnt. You know, if we reach 40%, we reach a point of no return. There is no going back. Uh, and so humbly, I felt the urge to go down there and do my best not to save the Amazon, selfishly maybe because I wanted to uh, meet these people before they disappear. That's the apocalyptic version. But another part of me was like, well, if there is a moment in time in which this sort of search, these stories are important and urgent, the moment is right now. And I think what's really uh interesting about this show is that even though the Amazon is the connective tissue to all of these episodes, uh, we talk about women's rights, we talk about racism, we talk about issues that I think are really accessible to uh, the American viewer. In one episode, you talk about, you're, you're, you go dancing with young girls, that, you know, yeah. four, four young girls, you, 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 were, you look like a lucky man. You, you were smiling <laughs> ear to ear in that one. Uh, but it was, you know, you, you go dancing with them and, and you, you're talking to them about life. And, you know, that's when yeah. one of them says, oh, you know, when she finishes college, she'd rather just not come back. But they also mm -hmm. talk about how it's not uncommon for 14-year-old kids, young girls, to be pregnant. Right? which yep. you know is extraordinary and 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 incredibly dangerous for young young girls to be pregnant at that age you can kill them if you know, and, and and of course is a change in someone's life and so when you talk about women's rights and things this is this is somewhat cultural i would imagine down mm -hmm. there but you know, yeah. you know women's rights in in that part of the world you know, it seems like it's, you know, another world away. It seems like it's another time in history, almost as if it's like a time war. What was your take on that in women's rights? Because it seems like an area where the men go hunting and fishing but the, and the women stay home and bear children and they're not necessarily educated. Is that accurate or what is it like? Yeah, I mean, traveling the world without uh, mixing our own opinions with judgment is an exercise, you know, of and trying to practice for years now. I just did an episode on this new show about the ultra-Orthodox Jewish community in Brooklyn. And I mean, some of the people I interviewed were 38 years old and they had eight kids. You know, I mean, you go to uh, Shanghai and you have a lot of people that are brainwashed. You go to Venezuela, you have a lot of people that love their leader. Uh, and when I went into these communities, I realized that one thing is what has become the game cha changer and it's information. Uh, I think the, these people, they would keep having kids as they're 13 and getting married when they're 14 and sort of staying in that life forever because that's all they knew, you know, but now through internet and through YouTube, uh, these people understand that there is another way of living their lives. There is a way out. There is, you know, hope elsewhere. And so I really saw this division between the people that really want to stick to their traditions, the people that really want to do uh, live the same life, 
the, their parents lived um, and the people that just want to get out. Uh, yes, on that episode, I saw a lot of these girls. And in fact, they, they went to college, they went to studying in urban areas. And so I think that was their wake up call. They're like, wait a second. I'm glad I didn't have a child when I was 14 because now I can actually get a job at a bigger city and I can actually meet someone I, I love and start a family. But the ones that didn't have a chance to go to the to an urban, I don't know, to a bigger city, they will never know that that life is even possible. I was trying to understand uh, if those traditions will survive. And I think a lot of them won't. And it's you can. You said you're saying that you know, once they touch and feel sort of, if you like, modern civilization, and I hate the word civilization, but just sort of what's happened because it's so uncivilized. Yeah. When they see what's possible, then all of a sudden they get a taste for it and they, see, they feel like change. But then we talk about these communities potentially disappearing. Ultimately, if these people get a taste for it, realize that they, they, they may not have to get married when they're 13 or 40, have children when they're 14 or whatever it might be, you know, and that they can get an education and they, they don't have to spend a life in the kitchen and they don't, that they won't have to sort of necessarily be told what to do by a man their whole life. That if that's the case and they do learn that, then for sure, regardless of logging in environmental conditions, purely by the fact that they just don't want to live in this kind of world, yeah. They're going to leave and those communities are going to die, right? Yeah, for sure. And I feel like we have a tendency to travel the world with a judgmental, like selfish behavior, attitude, call what you want. It's sort of like you want to go to Cuba and you want the Buena Vista social club guys to be like still playing the same way they did and walking home with a cane and a cigar. You want to go to Vietnam and you want to see, you know, the traditional hat and them to... I don't know, in Myanmar to paint their faces. Uh, but if you stop to put yourself, you know, to, to walk in their shoes, to try to put yourself in their situation, it's like they also have the right to be ambitious. They also have the right to want to travel the world. They also have the right to want to fall in love with someone that doesn't live in their tribe and, or some arranged marriage. So, yes, yeah, selfishly, we still want to get a taste of the past and we still want to like sort of like dive deep into this unknown uh, culture. But we also have to be mature enough and altruistic enough, generous enough to, you know, respect their choices. Um, so, yeah, I believe that you can kill uh, an illegal miner with a spear. You know, you can sort of protect yourself from, I don't know, uh, extractivists that are invading your land. But can you uh, protect yourself from evolution, from the Internet, from, you know, information, from social media? I'm not sure. I think maybe the enemy is invisible and they haven't realize that yet yeah to changing changing sort of um sort of tone a little bit here you know there's a few things that i noted from your show which kind of made me smile and kind of made me think of certain things that i'd experienced about brazil whilst not being in brazil um, and one of them was like there's a lot of elements of music that you kind of come across through the show you have to show people playing guitars you've got people humming songs and quoting from lyrics of music and yeah. the one thing that i had i've always known as being a, you know in the fashion as a fashion photographer if i ever hire a brazilian model which i must have done millions of times of certainly yeah. hundreds of thousands of times you know they always love classic rock it's like anything <laughs> yeah. like Guns N' Roses and like that kind of music it, it doesn't matter how old they are that was like this and, I, and then when i watched your show Literally, people are quoting Guns N' Roses, and, and they are singing. I was like, "Wait a second! This is ridiculous. This is so funny. Is that a thing? What is it with Brazil and like classic rock and these these bands? Like, you know, I don't know, Thin Lizzy. And, yeah, and it's funny. Lizzie. There are some bands that have just really stuck with Brazilians, and some are really random, like Rock Set or Aha, you know, Take on Me. I mean, everywhere in Brazil, like the most remote places, people do sing Sweet Child of Mine and um, much more than Justin Bieber or Dua Lipa. It, it's, uh, it has influenced modern Brazilian music in ways that I think no one really expected. And it's hilarious because these artists that can't get a show in a steakhouse in London, they pack arenas and Sao Paulo or Rio. I mean, Brazil is a fascinating country. I don't mean to, you know, use cliches and uh, to sound cheesy, but our food is 
incredible. We really are a blend of different influences and different cultures. I mean, it, it's a massive country. You go to the south of Brazil, it has nothing to do with the Northeast. It has nothing to do with the Amazon. It has nothing to do with Rio. Um, and each one of them uh, has its own traditions, its own sound, its own flavors. Um, and I think, I really think Brazil you know, is, I don't want to say underrated because people are in love with Brazilian culture. You can't walk into a fancy hotel anywhere in the world and not listen to Bossa Nova. You know, you can't like nowadays, you know, I'm good friends with a chef called Alex Atala, who was responsible, you know, for the, I don't know, the, the Amazonian flavors to reach places like 11 Medicine Park in New York or, uh, I mean, Michelin star. Brazil is so cool and sexy. That, 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 and anybody who thinks about Brazil, I mean, whether it's you're talking about Brazilian football, you know, around the world and, and, the, and the flair of playing to food, to culture, to let's just, you talked about Bezos earlier, Tom, the man named the biggest, most successful company after the Amazon, for God's <laughs> sakes. I mean, talk about, he goes to space. How stupid is he? What a marketing ploy would have been when I've named my company Amazon, I'm going to say the Amazon. You know, is, that would have been in, in the world of marketing ever known. But I think people adore it. Look, I want to start, stop me for a second because we we're you know, running out of time here a little bit, but you ate some chocolate in an episode where it's been made fresh there yeah. and you crack open the cup. I am obsessed with chocolate too. Mm-hmm. Your face is just like, mm, mm, mm. and I'm like, tell us, not, how yeah, good I'm, was that, dude? I really, I'm addicted to chocolate, but I did not expect to feel, to taste what I tasted in that scene at all. That was better than the best chocolate pie I've ever had in my life. Uh, That was actually really surprising to me because, you know, a lot of times I'm all for organic products. I'm all for like farm to table, call what you want, fresh ingredients, but to actually pick the cocoa bean you know, and roast it and see every step of the way, how you get to that flavor, to that smell. I guess that's when I discovered that the product itself, regardless of the butter, the milk, the way you make it, when it's good, it's just phenomenal. And it's a lot more similar to the chocolate that we eat than we expect it to be. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love those people and I'm really proud of this project because, yeah, we talk about uh, tough subjects like we did right now and uh, and th- we have difficult conversations. I cry with them, but I laugh with them. I cook with them. I dance with them. And I think overall, uh, we're able to bring a lot of light, fun elements into a really important discussion. And I guess that was my goal from from the start, you know. Amazing, amazing. Pedro Andrade, before we let you go, we have a little thing called Last Orders on Shaken and Stirred Show. Uh, a little rapid fire moment. Um, we're going to start off with what's the most extraordinary place that you have ever visited? Oh, man. <laughs> that is so tough. Jesus. Easy uh, no, no uh, I'm going to say Myanmar was life-changing to me because when i visited myanmar it, it was isolated from the world because of a brutal dictatorship for seven decades and uh i got there they didn't know what cell phones were they didn't know what how to use credit cards or anything like that not that that's what i treasured about this place but there was something really pure and something really hospitable and something really hopeful at the time because they were just getting into a democracy for the first time in an entire generation. And it's so sad that they've already lost that, you know, in such a short period of time. So I feel like I was really uh, privileged to be there at that time. And I was, you know, a lot of places that I have visited that went through horrific conflicts, people are really defensive and they don't trust you and rightfully so. And I mean, people in Southeast Asia are very sweet and generous, but specifically in Myanmar, it really was life-changing for me. Well, there you go, Myanmar. Next question, kitchen utensil. If you had to be any kitchen utensil, which one would you be and why? (laughs) 
I make incredible drinks. I make the best martini in New York, FYI. Wow. But I don't know how to cook much, but my eggs are amazing. I, I make incredible scrambled eggs. So I guess I'll have to be the frying pan because I don't use much more than that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. What floats your boat and what gets your goat? Mm. What floats my boat? Um, genuine human connection, like gratuitous human connection. Like I do what I do and I feel like the luckiest man in the world because I'm able to have conversations like the one we are having right now. And, and I like when I sit down with someone and I have the opportunity to talk to them and I feel that they're open and that uh, quickly they, they trust me and they're enjoying themselves. That to me, I mean, it's priceless. I don't think there is anything I do in my life that gives me more joy than, you know, I, I, I rarely feel as present as I feel when I'm with those people that so generously open their doors and open their lives and their hearts to me. Um, and I hope that shows on Unknown Amazon. And what gets your goat? Which what upsets you? Um, Jesus. Nowadays, a lot. Um, I thought you were going to say Jesus. Just leave it there. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, there you go. That was easy, wasn't it? Some, sometimes, sometimes. Uh, honestly, I think, um, yeah, I, I feel like the how unfair the world can be at times and how selfish people, when, when people don't, are not willing to sort of share or to sort of try to understand the other side. Uh, actually, scratch that, how polarized the, the world is today. I feel like we're getting dumber and dumber and we're not willing to have a dialogue to listen. Uh, QAnon fucking drives me up the walls. Uh, conspiracy theories. Um, yeah, a lot of things drives me off. But not ginger people trying to play Boston Nova. Should I get it? <laughs> nice. I'll push, I play you out. Come on. <laughs> Let me ask the last two questions and please play us out. I think that's fantastic. In the movie of your life, who would you have play you? And the funny thing is, you're the one person who's actually living the movie of his life right now. <laughs> who would play me? Oh, gosh. Uh, how about <laughs> Ryan Gosling? <laughs> Hey, I can see that. Oh, Ryan Gosling, that makes sense. And final question, shaken or stirred, Pedro? Oh, my gosh. Stirred without a doubt. How offensive. There you go. A man who knows his martinis. Unknown Amazon with Pedro Andrade by Vice. It's out now. Check it out. Incredibly informative. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Um, and uh, I think Tom, cue uh, the music, and, and, please. And thank you for teaching me how to say buoy. There you go. Cheers. Thank <laughs> my friend. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken Instead. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya.